thank you, sister. I feel like um, I don't need to preach now after that worship, I lie. I feel like that you got the Christmas story over. He didn't mention myrrh, which is a shame, but because um, then I really wouldn't need you to have preached. But um, thank you, guys. Yeah, um, just to reiterate what Mikey said, I feel blessed um, this morning. It's good to be here. I wasn't actually supposed to be here this morning, and I've I've always wondered what it's like for a preacher to turn up at a church and at the wrong church, or they weren't or not on rota, and they've written a whole sermon. Because I was on rota to preach, but then I've I've been um, I've been sick this week, and not with COVID. I did two tests. And actually, I wasn't wishing that it, one of my the tests was positive, but I was thinking, how can I be feeling this bad? And it's just because I was feeling bad, like to the point where I'm, I'm on Teams to F, I'm like, brother, don't think I can make it this week. And he's like, cool, I've got you, I've got you. And I've never done that. So anyway, it was bad. But anyway, I'm here. But I only got really better yesterday. So this is my, my granddad, um, he was from Trinidad. And he used to have this dish that he would make called macafouche. And, and it was basically anything that was left over in the fridge. You'd just throw it in the pot, you'd mix it up. I'd be like, granddad, what's that? What are you cooking? Macafouche, macafouche. But every time it tastes different. And it, anyway, so this might be a bit of a, a macafouche <laughs> sermon. <laughs> um, so there's a disclaimer. Um, so I apologize in advance, but the Lord knows my heart. Amen. Amen. Um, a few weeks ago, I told you guys um, about my brother in the Lord, Olu, from my, my home church in Tottenham. And he created the church's website, and he stuck four PDF documents on the, um, on the, on the website. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this was about 15, 16 years ago. I came along about a year after he made it. I read the Gospel of Mark. I gave my life to Christ. And, and here I am today um, because of that, thanks to Olu, by Jesus, the cross, and the Holy Spirit. A couple of believers, I mentioned that because a couple of believers, one was a tax man and the other was a doctor, they decided to record the events surrounding Israel's Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, and how he came to, to the earth, how he came to his people, how he created this, this community of disciples, how he went around serving and teaching the people, uh, like with a sermon on the mount, for example. And they recalled how Israel becomes divided because of him and, and how Jesus condemns them. And we learn of, of his leaving the temple and eventually his execution. At one point, Jesus is rejected by his people and, and a murderer is set free in his place. That's how much they rejected him. That's how deep they took it. And I mention all of this for two reasons. It was only Matthew and Luke who chose to record the events leading up to and including Jesus' birth. And without them, I guess... Who knows what Christmas would, would have been like. Um, but also because I wanted to highlight how God, you know, even in breathing his word into existence, he used two ordinary people, a tax collector, who, if you remember at the time, tax collectors, they would be considered the lowest of scummiest people by the Jewish people because they were their people, but they were working for the oppressors. You know, going around collecting money from them and handing it over to the enemy and probably collecting a bit more on top for their own pocket as well, taking liberties on a liberty. But this is all part of the gospel. This is God using the ordinary people, the broken, the outcasted, the ashamed, the lonely, the, the, the Tottenham Hotspur supporters. And I've got to stop using that in my sermon because maybe it's getting a bit dry, but it will never, never not be a lie. To build his kingdom and bring broken hearts to him to be made new. And I feel like I'm, 
already wrapping up my sermon before I've got started. <laughs> and it feels like the plane's going to hit the tarmac too early. But I just wanted to highlight that massive point that, you know, the evening writing of the four Gospels, these four precious books that teach us all about, the, you know, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. God used ordinary people, the you and me, to do great things. Amen? Because the God, Matthew and Luke, and you and me, we, you know, as his people, he doesn't see us as ordinary. We're blessed. And both accounts of this O Holy Night, they're, they're similar, but at the same time they're different. It's like we had two reporters at the scene, both reporting on the same breaking, unfolding news story, but from slightly different angles and, and viewpoints. Sorry, good morning to, you, to those at home. I keep on forgetting there's a camera in front of me, you know. So I'm just there going like this and like this and just ignoring people at home. Good morning. I'll try and um, look at the camera as well. Um, let me pray and, and then I'll read. I've um, got, quite, got quite a bit of reading to do, um, but it's all contextual. And then we'll get on with this, this thing. Shall we pray? Father God, we thank you um, for this morning and thank you for your mercies that are new to us this morning. Thank you that your, your mercies are never-ending. Thank you that your love is never-ending. And thank you, Lord, that you chose us, you called us by name. You drew us out of darkness into your wonderful light. Father, we pray for those that aren't able to be here with us this morning. Um, Lord, we pray for their health, their safety, and for their heart. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my lips be pleasing to your Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I'm going to read pretty fast. It's going to come up on the screen. It's that we've actually got the same version going on here this week, um, which is a good thing. So it won't seem like I'm being heretical with the NIV. Um, but yeah, I'm reading from Luke chapter 2, um, from verse 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. At night, sorry, it's not the carol. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. 
When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I don't need to flip, but if you're on your phones or you've got an ancient manuscript in your hand, flip to Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Matthew 2, from verse 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who, who, was, who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod dis- heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was born was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star had seen when it and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child was with, with, with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That was a lot of reading. So I'm just catching my breath. I might even take a bit of water. I hardly, hardly drink water when I'm preaching because I did once and it kind of went all over my iPad and it was kind of embarrassing. So I put my water there, but I never really drink it. I don't even know I'm saying that, but... I'm saying that in case it happens. Um, anyway, it didn't. Thank God. 
So this theme of God using the ordinary can be seen right at the heart of this first Christmas story. And this story is centered around a family, two female cousins, although the, when you look more into the Greek, the more accurate translation of the, of the word is probably relative. And that's kind of backed up by Luke um, describing Elizabeth, um, one of the cousins, as very old, uh, whereas Mary would have been anywhere between 13 and 17 um, when, when she was pregnant with Jesus. That's a different sermon for another day. Um, Elizabeth was married to a priest named Zachariah. Um, Zachariah, we read in Luke chapter 1, was a priest from the priestly division of Abijah, and Elizabeth, a descendant of Aaron. So these are, this is a believing family, that they're, they're servants of God. Zachariah serving in the temple. And Mary, who was pledged to be married to Joseph, who was a carpenter from Nazareth. So when we, if we fast forward to our O Holy Night, and, and we read in Luke chapter 2 that Mary and Joseph have, have kind of made this madman mission trip from Nazareth in the north down to Bethlehem, which is a small city um, south of Jerusalem. And I say madman mission because for Mary and Joseph, even though on Google, I Googled it yesterday, um, it's about 90-odd miles, which it says that you can do in about 31 hours. But the average person, I Googled, um, can only walk around 20 miles a day. Or if you're like a seasoned pro walker like me, you could probably do 30 miles a day. Um, but they couldn't go, yay, somebody laughed. <laughs> I wondered, would somebody laugh at that when I wrote it? <laughs> Bless you, sis. <laughs> uh, you've got to get little wins, isn't it? <laughs> um, anyway, they couldn't go, I'm going off script. They couldn't go via um, the straight route because this would have taken them straight through Samaria. Um, which, given the hostilities between the Jewish and the, 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 you know, the Samaritan people at the time, would have been a bit of a dangerous situation, especially with Mary being um, heavily pregnant. So we'd expect them to do probably around 20 miles a day. Remember, Mary's heavily pregnant because she give, when they get to Bethlehem, she gives birth shortly afterwards. So it probably would have taken them about 8 to 10 days to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So after that long, slow, cold, tiring walk of about 90 miles, they reached the city of Bethlehem. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, we read in Luke chapter 2. And she takes her newborn baby, wraps him in some cloths, places him in the manger. Meanwhile, out in the fields nearby were some shepherds living in the fields, taking care of their flocks of sheep, we read. Now, one assumption is that this was during the lambing season in, in the springtime, and this would put Jesus' birth at around March. Thank you, Brother Mikey, for saying it doesn't really matter when he was born, because he was born. Amen? Yeah. Right, so don't worry about what I'm about to say. This, this would put Jesus' birth at around March. Another theory is that it was just after the harvest um, that the shepherds would have been out in the field. So this would have been about late October, early November, around the time I was born. So I'm going with that theory because um, that means I was in good company. Given Zachariah's temple duties, though, um, and the timing of those, that's a whole sermon in itself, um, my money is that it, Jesus was probably around a March baby. But uh, there's a bit of Christmas research for you to do um, at home. In any case, these shepherds, traditionally we've assumed that they're, they're, they're these lowly outcast people, these poor, dirty, stinking, living in fields, wouldn't want to give them a lift home kind of people. Um, but actually, they probably weren't your run-of-the-mill shepherds. 
when you actually do, when you actually look at look at all of the facts around it. When we think of the shepherds in the Bible, who springs to mind? So if I said to you, give me a shepherd from the Bible. All right, there we go. David, for example, was a shepherd. He took care of his father's flocks. Um, Abraham was a shepherd. Genesis 13 describes him having livestock and herds and flocks of sheep. Moses was a shepherd. Jacob. That's like five or six sermons. Brother, we're building up for next year. Come on. Hopefully somebody's writing these down. But Moses was a shepherd, and his first encounter um, with God was when he was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, and there God speaks to him through a burning bush, and eventually he would shepherd God's people from Egypt, parting the Red Sea and leading them to safety. These three men, they're pillars of the Old Testament. These Jewish people would have grown up revering them, these big men of the Bible. All three of them are connected to shepherding not just livestock, but God's people. So they would have been held in high esteem by the Jewish people at the time. And God is also seen as a shepherd in the Old Testament. One of the most famous verses of Scripture is none other than Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. If you look in Ezekiel chapter 34, the Lord speaks and says, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered. Where am I going with this? It's no coincidence then that given that Bethlehem is only around five and a half miles from Jerusalem, and angels could easily have gone to Jerusalem, into Herod's palace, or to the Roman um, governor, that name I can't pronounce, Quirinius. Um, but these shepherds, they wouldn't have been your average old shepherds though. They wouldn't have been your country bumpkin, howdy ma'am kind of shepherds. Because Bethlehem was the ancestral city of King David. As we know, he was a shepherd and probably out in those same fields that these shepherds were in. And he went on to become the shepherd king. And as we were just reminded, he penned those beautiful words, the Lord is my shepherd. So these Bethlehem shepherds had to be more important than your run-of-the-mill shepherds. And in fact, they were most likely descendants of King David himself and were probably helping the sheep give birth to the Passover or sacrificial lambs. Sounds mad, I know, because our concept is that is of, of the Christmas story and the shepherds in the field, we're always kind of told and taught that they were lowly outcasts. And some shepherds are, don't, let's, let's not get it twisted. But the place exactly where these shepherds were, so close to the temple, at the time they were there, all the circumstances surround it, leads me to think, and my research to, to, to tell me, that actually they weren't your run-of-the-mill shepherds. And then come, along comes an angel of the Lord to tell these shepherds of the Lord's, you know, these shepherds of the Lord's sacrificial lambs, that the Lamb of God has just been born, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. And this is how you'll find him, a sign, a baby, wrapped in cloths, and lying in a manger. And then hella heavenly dons start to join the angels, and they start spitting these heavenly bars, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to all on whom his favor rests. Amen? 
And then the angels leave, the shepherds do what? They leave their lambs that they were charged with watching over, they abandon their flock because they have to see what the Lord has told them about. So brothers and sisters, my first challenge for us this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we call it in my home church, is what are you risking? What are you sacrificing? What are you leaving behind? Sometimes something in the darkness because God has called you to come and see his son, the light of the world. The shepherds, they hurry off and they find Mary and Joseph, they find baby Jesus, just as they were told, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And that was it, they were off. Telling every Tom, Dick and Harriet (laughs) um, what had been told to them about this child, what they had witnessed with their own eyeballs, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds were telling them. That means that the people recognize these shepherds as people worth listening to. They didn't tell them to go, don't talk to me, dusty man, go away. No, they, they listened to them. They were amazed by what they said. Brothers and sisters, if you've met with Jesus, if God has drawn you out of the darkness to the light of the world, his son, are you telling people about what you have heard and seen and witnessed in your life about Jesus? Are people amazed about what you, what they hear from you, tell them about Jesus? Just like these shepherds out in the field who ran and told people what they heard. These shepherds became the first people to see Mary and Joseph just after they had given birth to the one who would be both the good shepherd and the lamb of God. How mad is that? And do you see what God has done here? Do we see how God weaves and works every little intricate detail of his word together for his purpose? I mean, that is a sermon in itself. But now we switch channels to to MNN, Matthew News Network. It's like, um, what's that, that stupid network that started up recently? GB News. This ain't GB News. Or... Yeah, I don't even know what one I could compare this to. Let's not even go there. Anyway, in Matthew's, over to Matthew, Magi from the east have come to Jerusalem. They've come to the seat of power where they expect to find this king. And one common misconception is that the Magi came to visit Jesus at the stable on the night of his birth. But in truth, they probably came days or weeks or months or maybe even years later. Because if you read the detail in Matthew's story on coming to the house, not on coming to the stable or wherever it was or the manger, on coming to the house. So there's been a movement of the, of the, of the holy family. We know that they were Magi or, or wise men from the east, most likely Persia or, or modern-day Iran. This means they travelled something like eight to 900 miles to see the Christ child. And they were guided to look for the king of the Jews by a star that rose so that the Magi could see and follow it. And then after an encounter with Herod, the the idiot king, they set off to follow the star of Bethlehem, overjoyed, we read. And we read, they bowed down and worshipped Jesus as soon as they saw him. Brother Mikey, bless him, opened the first of our free gift Sundays a couple of weeks ago 
looking at the gift of gold. And by bringing a gift of gold, we see the Magi, they're recognizing Jesus as king. And this was a, a bold statement from them, symbolizing Jesus' kingship. And we see this recognition in the text at verse 2 of Matthew when they say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They've met King Herod. They, they know he is the king, but they're seeking Jesus, even as a tiny infant, as the king of kings. Practically speaking, this gold most likely helped Joseph, Mary, and Jesus escape to Egypt and probably funded their, 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 their life there. Who knows? Who knows what they did with it? But that's a, a, a good guess, I would say. Then last week, Brother Denzel brought us the frankincense. Here we see the Magi stating that Jesus is not just a king, but he's also the great high priest and God. Again, this is confirmed right in the text in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, when they state, we saw his star when it rose and had to come to worship him. Frankincense is a, is a gift for the Son of God. And on to our third and final gift, and that is myrrh. And like frankincense, and unfortunately I, I don't live with an expert on herbal remedies, so I had to do a bit of research myself. Um, but frankincense is a, is a gum resin that comes from a tree called Comifora myrrha. It's commonly found in, Middle East, in the Middle East and Africa, and I was supposed to give you guys a picture to put up on the screen, but my mind taught me I forgot. Anyway, Google a Mertry um, whenever you want. It's an ugly piece of something. It really isn't pretty. Um, sometimes it has white flowers on it, but most of the time, because of the climate in that part of the world, that it just dries and, and it... Twi yeah, it's not pretty. Um, but myrrh is related to frankincense, and it's one of the most widely used essential oils in the world. And even a little bottle like this is about £16 on Holland and Barrett. I was going to buy some and bring so you could all smell it. And I thought, do you know what? That's £16, you know? Um, so, yeah, use your imagination. Use your imagination. Um, Christmas is coming, amen. Um, the, the, bar, the bark on the tree, usually, it gets all twisted up. because of that. So that's what makes it look a bit hideous, because the bark gets all twisted up. I mean, it's God's creation. So, it, no, no, don't, no, trees aren't made in God's image. But it's God's creation, and we thank God for it. But it's not good looking. To, to harvest the myrrh, the, the tree trunks have to be sort of cut and then the, the, to release the resin, the resin pours out, it's left to dry and then it's steamed slowly and from this process you get this oil and that's, that's the resin. And apparently it has a smoky, sweet and at times bitter smell. Has anybody ever come across myrrh here? Has anybody ever experienced myrrh? Yeah, a morena. Okay, so yeah, is, oh, is, it, is it, what's the smell like? Ah, we've got a joke in the house. Ah, amen. Okay. Anyway, apparently it's smoky, sweet at times, and it's bitter. The word myrrh actually comes from the Hebrew word mara, which means bitter. And in Jesus' time, people used myrrh, for among other things, to embalm the dead. I mean, let's deep that, really. When one of your people has a baby, you might take a bottle of baby oil or baby lotion... But I can assure you, with all of the assurity I might have, if you turn up to that hospital and house with some embalming fuel or liquid, family, you're finished. 
You know, at best, they're going to run you out of the place and they're going to pray hard for you. At worst, I mean, actually, I don't even want to go there what that at worst might be, because especially if they're heathens and they ain't got no control over themselves, like, you, you might get a taste of your own embalmment medicine, but that's what happened here. That's literally what has happened. They've rocked up to Mary and Joseph and they've given him some embalming oil. They've given it to Jesus. But this signifies the death of Jesus from a very early point in the Gospels. There's only two mentions of myrrh in the Gospels. One in, in Mark, it's said, to be, it's said to have been mixed with wine and offered to Jesus on the cross, but he refuses it. Then the women who went um, to the tomb on the first Easter morning to anoint Jesus' body, they had some myrrh with them. Myrrh signifies Jesus' death. It signifies his coming sacrifice. From a very, very young and early point in Jesus' life, they, the Magi, and Mary and Joseph are made aware of Jesus' ultimate mission, and that involves sacrifice and death. And in the middle of all, that, all of the joy and food and games and family and, and what, whatever, whatever, this third and last gift is a cold reminder for us that as a believer, as a Christian, as a child of the Most High God, it's not always fun. Following Jesus isn't easy because it involves death and it involves sacrifice. Thankfully, the ultimate sacrifice Jesus did for us on the cross. He died in our place. He took our punishment. He paid that price. But for, for us here and now in sort of COVID-21, the, the death we must experience as a child of God is to ourselves. Our old ways, our fears, our desires, our flesh, our selfishness, our self-centered ways, they need to die for the sake of following Jesus. Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans in chapter 6, We were therefore buried with him through baptism in death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And he goes on to say, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, but that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Brothers and sisters, this is God's gift to the church. His son entering in the world as a baby, the ultimate sacrificial lamb of God, born to outlive death so that we too can have this new life that he promises us, free from our old selves, so that we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore, so that it doesn't have a grip on us. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of God's gift to his church. For us to be faithful followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to offer ourselves to God and to follow him wherever he leads. But that takes obedience. And at times, even we don't know, where, you know which way we're going. And, and, but we, as part of this giving up control of our lives, we need to allow God to just lead us and to just follow him. The scriptures I read today that we've been looking at for the last three weeks, it stresses this truth that Jesus is God's revelation to the world that he created. Jesus is this perfect saving light 
that we seek. And if we're not seeking, we should be seeking. And kind of symbolized and wrapped up in the visit of the Magi, these three wise men from the East, who in truth shouldn't have really known or cared about this baby born to be the king of the Jewish people. But this is God showing us that just like the Magi, all nations can, should, did, and will come to worship Jesus as king, gold, as high priest, frankincense, and as the sacrificial gift, myrrh. Gold, are we acknowledging that Jesus is the one, the only king of our lives today? Frankincense, that that gift of worship, because kid ourselves not, it, it is a gift and an honor to be able to worship God. Are we doing all that we can to grow deeper in our knowledge and love of God, our faith in him? Are we nurturing it? And then myrrh, that gift, that gift of sacrifice, this one does and should make us all a little bit uncomfortable. Because we should feel a sense of sacrifice when we give things or people or whatever up for the sake of following Jesus. It shouldn't come easy. But this is what being a part of God's kingdom is all about. This is part of the gospel. You know, this is the gospel. God gave his gift to the church, his son, to die so that we might live and give our gifts to Jesus, our king, our priest, our sacrificial saviour. These magi, these wise men, somehow, somewhere, sometime, they heard or read and believed God's word about who the Messiah was and is, and then they responded by seeking out Jesus, finding him for themselves. Then then they recognized who this Christ child was, and they humbled themselves before him, and they worshipped him. And then they ran left to Egypt. King Herod and obeyed God who told them what way to go and ignored the evil man who wanted to harm the Christ child. Brothers and sisters, we are wise men and women, I'd like to think. We gather together to worship God and and offer him our best. But we're also kings and queens, part of a royal priesthood. We're not of this world. We're in exile here, awaiting the return of our king, to take us home. So what gifts do you have to offer God, I ask you today? Olu offered his, you know, I keep on going on about him, but it's such a great character to illustrate using your gifts and what it can do for God's kingdom. He offered God his gift of IT skills and a bit of time to make that website 15 years ago. And little little did he know that, you know, a year later, this gold-tooth-wearing, half-trinny heathen was going to come along and encounter God's word for the first time, and that would lead to his salvation and lead to him standing here preaching to today. That's real. Just because Olu gave a bit of time and thought, oh, let me put some PDFs on the website, before people even knew what PDF was 15 years ago. Some that still don't know what PDF is today. What gifts do you have to offer to God to help build his kingdom, trusting that he will use us 
to help change hearts and grow his church? What are you willing to sacrifice? What, what do we still need to let go of? Who do we still need to let go of? That might be getting in the way of us giving ourselves fully to Jesus and to serve in his church and to help build his kingdom. And as we go through this week, building up to the big day on Saturday, I challenge you, take a few minutes or more, let the Lord lead your heart, but take some time and just think and pray about what gift could I use as we go into this gift of the new year to serve God and help build his kingdom. And like the wise men, spend some time bowing down and worshipping God's gift to the church. The King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you haven't received God's gift yet, that gift of salvation that comes from believing in Jesus, if you haven't made that commitment, come and talk to me or one of the elders afterwards. If you're online at home, I've been ignoring you. You're in my heart, honestly. Um, if you want to talk to one of the elders, email them, elders at ecclesia.uk. Jesus came to serve. His main act of service was to die and to outlive his death so that we may have eternal life and live a life of freedom from sin. I'm sorry this hasn't been a very Christmassy sermon. This probably hasn't got you ready for your turkey, but this is realness. This is, this is life. This is our faith. And as the band um, come up, <laughs> I'm gonna close. <laughs> I'm gonna close with some words from the prophet Isaiah from chapter nine. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest like, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniformed blood stained by war will all be burned. There will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. His rule he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Guys, it's been a privilege and an, and an honor to serve the Lord with you this year. And I just pray that you'll, you'll know and sense and see God's love, his peace and his majesty this Christmas, wherever you are, whoever you're with. And I pray that God and, and his heavenly angels will surround and protect your families. Now, this Christmas and forevermore. Amen.
Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.